All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. Hey friends, I have some good news for you. Rethinking Faith will be back in action once again this year at Theology Beer Camp as the God Pods strike back. This event will be October 19th through the 21st in Springfield, Missouri. And this year, the God Pods are looking amazing. We have friends such as the New Evangelicals, You Have Permission, Homebrewed Christianity, The Bible for Normal People, Crackers and Grape Juice, A Tiny Revolution, Secret Art Project, A People's Theology, Rev Covery, and more. And on top of that, we have some fun Jedi Masters hanging out, bringing craft nerdiness such as John Dominic Carlson, Reggie Williams, Adam Clark, Sarah Lane Ritchie, Myron Penner, Thomas J. Orr, Jay McDaniel, Roberto Shea, Espinoza, Pete Enns, Leah Robertson, Tony Jones, and more. It is going to be a blast. For more information, head over to theologybeer.camp. You can use promo code RethinkingGodPod, all one word, capital letters, Rethinking God Pod for $25 off of your registration fee. Come on and hang out this year at Theology Beer Camp. It was a blast last year. I enjoyed getting to see and meet so many of li- uh, you listeners, and I look forward to hanging out this year once again. So, again, theologybeer.camp and use promo code Rethinking God Pod. Hope to see you guys there. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Rethinking Faith Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and returning as a guest today is friend Bruce Epperly. Bruce, how are we doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day in the Washington suburbs. Uh, I've had my impossible burger, but loaded it up with cheese, so I'm feeling very possible tonight. And it's a good life. I've been out with the grandchildren and uh, and uh, doing a little study, doing a little family. You can't beat that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm here for it. I uh, I had spaghetti for dinner. <laughs> oh, that that's okay. <laughs> <With my mom. laughs> I get a yen for pasta every so often. A good bolognese can a good bolognese can set you well. 
There we go. Well, I do. I uh, I do have a nice uh, this. It's a beer called um, Rye Fifty One um, from a spot I like called Monument City. Um, it's a really nice balanced beer where fifty one percent of the malt is rye, so that's where it All gets right. its name. But I thought you know, it'd be a nice I, companion. I missed out on the whiskey <laughs> and rye today, and with the good old boys. And uh, uh, but uh, I, I probably I've, I've learned over the years not to drink and talk sometimes, and so uh, uh, I had I was tempted to have a gin and tonic, and uh, uh, I was just eating quickly enough to be here. You know, I just got home from my grandchildren's house and uh, said, "Oh, it's almost seven. We better marshal my resources." Well, perhaps I should uh, learn from your wisdom and stop uh, talking when I drink sometimes. But well, I well, don't know. I you have to be determined. <laughs> in vino es veritas. So I think in <laughs> wine there is truth. So there may be some opportunity for that. It's, if it's, you know, I may yet have a little gin and tonic before the evening is done. Yeah, I think, uh, who was it? I forget. There was a, a particular... Um, people group and culture where they would have their um, like political debates uh, sober. And then yep. afterwards they would have the same debate um, inebriated. And if like the good ideas were good ideas in both spaces, then they're like, okay, maybe, maybe we got something here. <laughs> well, I think so. I think so. And of course the, uh, the term symposium uh, emerges from one of Plato's dialogues, which was a drinking party to drink with. And uh, the, the good news was after uh, putting everyone else under the table, Socrates took, went to the baths and went on with his business as if nothing had happened. So uh, uh, a little symposium is good for the spirit. And I know you'll be at Trip Fuller's beer camp later on. So extra beer, no extra charge. <laughs> I will be there. How much did uh how much did Trip pay you to slide that like perfect, you know, little advertisement right in the conversation? Well, here? I know you're going to be one of the luminaries <laughs> there, so uh so I'm giving you a plug too. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, I appreciate it. <laughs> and you know, every you know when I, the the topics you cover here uh are are superb and the 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 people you have on are are, are excellent, so I'm glad to be among the number. Well, I appreciate you coming back, Bruce. I really enjoyed um, the previous conversation we did, which listeners, you can go back in the archives and find uh, find that. Uh, we discussed uh, Bruce's book, forgive me if I mess up the title, The Elephant is Running. Yes, yes. Yeah, which is um, basically like a um, pluralistic approach to like different um, religions throughout the world. It's a really, really cool book and we had a fun conversation. Um, so if listeners are interested, they can go back in the archives and find that. Um, but today, specifically, I wanted to talk about a, another fun little book that you had come out called Jesus, Mystic, Healer, and Prophet. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was fun. I To be honest, I've been doing a lot of um, reading of like super nerdy philosophy stuff recently. And kind of having a return to um, theology, although, you know, philosophy and theology very much go hand in hand. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading a good book about Jesus, which is something I haven't done in a while. So <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks yes, for that and, experience. <laughs> and, and, you know, I know that you had uh, Dan Dabrowski over here a, a month or two ago. And, and his book, Process Mysticism, is a, a wonderful book. I mean, every author... 
every author, when they see somebody's writing in your field, their 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 ears perk and their eyes open, and and, uh, and and you see you you think to yourself, well, now what are they going to say? And will they will get all will they get all my laugh lines? And uh, I will say that both my work on process theology and mysticism and 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 this particular book uh, quite complement Dombrowski's book. They have very different flavor with a very different intention. Uh, his is a, a bit more abstract. It, it is really top of the line. So there's, when I say abstract, I, I don't mean in any way critical of that. It's, it's a, a bit more abstract. And he's sort of building a foundation for, for possibility. And, and I am uh, talking about the concrete experiences of, uh, you know, I, I wrote uh, a series of books on mysticism, uh, uh, on various mystics in the Western world and a couple Eastern mystics too. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in the 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 sort of, uh, you might call it the phenomenon of mystical experience and how that changes people's lives. And what is it about mystical experience that, that uh, uh, awakens us to a new world and awakens us to a bigger world. And, and even though the various historical mystics we might talk about uh, have different nuances, uh, the one thing that seems to happen is that their experiences of the holy broaden their sense of affirmation of, of the world and of, of, of people who differ from them. It's tough to be a mystic and a bigot at the same time. Yes, I've I uh I too have noticed the same and I personally, you know, grew deeply interested in mysticism. Um, you know, I jokingly refer to myself as an aspiring mystic. Well, um, we all. <laughs> but just because of exactly what you're talking about, when I got introduced uh to the mystics and the contemplatives, not only of the Christian faith, but you know, first the Christian faith, but then, you know, broader um, <clears throat> there was something of a deep resonance that it felt like they were speaking a, a, a language that I understood and that aligned with my own experience yes. um, of the divine. And ultimately, those kind of things also are why I'm part of why I'm deeply attracted to the more open and relational uh, process, relational kind of thinking um, is because it seems to to play nicely with some of my more like mystical inclinations. Um, and so I, I appreciated Dan's book very much uh, because, like you said, he did lay kind of that like um, more abstract kind of um, foundation. And it was it was a joy to read. And it was also it was deeply helpful as because, um, you know, process is uh, process thinking is is notoriously difficult to grasp yeah. sometimes. Uh, but reading Dan's book in conjunction, I was actually reading um Reenchantment uh, without oh, supernaturalism, kind of at the same time. Dave and Griffin? things, yeah, and things just started to click, and so I'm well, yeah. in debt for to Dan for that. Yeah, and both of those are excellent books. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that David, whom I studied with, and he was my, he and Cobb were my mentors back in in grad school. Uh, John Cobb, uh, you know was not always an easy read. He takes no prisoners or took no prisoners. But I think the the that basically uh, David and I have been kind of on uh, the same. He's he probably is experiencing the beatif beatific life now since he passed away last year or earlier this year. But, uh, uh, you know, 
have sort of influenced each other in many ways back and forth. I probably became interested in mysticism oh, a couple decades ago through learning meditation and uh, and uh, learning for initially transcendental meditation and later Christian forms of meditation. And, and, and just the uh, sense that uh, as process thinkers would would say, uh, following uh, Jacob uh, waking from his dream, uh, God is in this place and I did not know it. And, and I think that the foundational, uh, and this is really one of the undercurrents in, in Jesus' uh, mystic healer and prophet, is that I don't believe that Jesus is a supernatural being. Uh, I, I believe, and that in no way detracts from Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think the whole notion of Jesus is kind of a an, uh, an alien to our world, or uh, the possessing some sort of divine cassette, uh, as they used to say in the old days, or a divine upload, uh, uh, actually makes Jesus uh, less of a model for us, and, and indeed may very well uh, make making claims about his uniqueness more difficult. Um, you know, I think that, that one of the theses of this book is that the uh, and my work with the, with the New Testament is is that these fit together. Uh, Jesus' mysticism uh, empowered him to be a healer, and his healing ministry had institutional and and uh, political connotations to it. You know that wonderful passage from Luke's Gospel, Luke four, kind of holds the whole of them in tension. There, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, there's the mystical. To, to to heal, to proclaim good news, to proclaim this this the year of shalom, the jubilee year. Uh, they all fit together for Jesus. There's no bifurcation of of the spiritual life, the healing ministry, or the healing of the planet, and the and the institutions of which we're a part. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've I really have come to appreciate kind of um, like a process kind of like Christology um yes. but like trip uh, you know trip is a good friend and also um I've bothered him about Christology so much that he's like Josh look like I've told I've you know we've talked about this so many times <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm finally starting to like I'm getting it but anyway all that to say I really appreciate kind of this um the way trip talks about you know um Jesus like the fidelity of Christ, um, of Jesus to like, you know, as, as Jesus, uh, apprehends, right. Um, yeah. the, the initial aims of the father and fully is faithful to the divine will. Um, and so yeah. then it's Jesus faithfulness that he then literally becomes the image of God because he's being fully faithful. It's the fidelity to, uh, the father. And I, that understanding, um, excites me because then, uh, as you were saying it, it then says like, okay, well, like, obviously I'm not Jesus. Like if Jesus is turned up to 11, I'm probably like a three and a half at best on a good day. <laughs> but yeah. that, that inspiration is there that um, the divine Lord, the call to, you know, be faithful to um, the one that Jesus called Yahweh is just like, I that works for me. That's an exciting yes. and enticing invitation. Yes, and, and of course, you can have the the divine uh, providence and the human response. Uh, it's it's 
it seems to me that uh, that each one of us has a vocational call or many vocational calls. Uh, if you were to talk about uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it's clear that everyone is a gift. And I would go beyond that, that gifts has gifts and also the gifts change over time, uh, vocations change over time. And those, in a sense, are a combination, I think, of nature and nurture. If we might substitute the name God for nature, it's that which is given. Uh, and I have no problem. As a matter of fact, I believe that you can talk about being chosen or called or providentially in a place. Uh, I, I, I believe that Jesus was called uh, by God to his role, but it was not a uh, coercive call. Uh, that the call was to quote Tom Ord, uh, uncontrolling. It was a call to greater uh, creativity and greater freedom, not lesser creativity and freedom. That in this trajectory, in this movement that begin that of the Hebraic peoples, uh, and Jesus is a specific kind of incarnation of God. He's not Buddha. He's not uh, uh, Kung Tzu, uh, 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 Confucius. He's not. Uh, 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 Hindu Rishi, uh, Jesus comes out of the Hebraic tradition, and, and in, in many ways, without being supersessionist, uh, without denying the the wisdom and the continuing revelation in Judaism, uh, you can speak about Jesus as kind of the the pinnacle of a sort of holistic prophetic tradition, uh, and that just as you know, uh, Jesus, you know, we can live, you know, I. I we we don't need to get involved in the uh, in trying to parse out the descent of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism, uh, you know, or or Jesus' uh, words quoting Isaiah, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me." We don't we don't need to to do a a, a uh, analysis of those perhaps to just but but to assume that Jesus perceived that God had called him and and indeed perhaps. God's spirit laid upon him in a way that was unique to him for us and our salvation, as the old prayer book would say. Uh, and, but yet that did not nullify his own personhood. Uh, you know, a lot of Christians speak of, you know, the divine part and the Jesus human part uh, as if they're two separate things. You can't separate those any more than, than you can separate, say, well, it's the human part of me that did this. Well, you know, if you're, Jesus characteristic was to be one whole person, and, and a whole person, as Arrhenius was to say, and I think he probably was talking about Jesus as the glory of God as a person who's fully alive, and so we may very well have these moments in our own lives when we're 3.5 or 5 or 7 on the scale, uh, uh, but and when we experience a full aliveness in our lives, but uh, we believe that Jesus consistently had that full humanity, which then enabled him to be uh, a healer uh, with the fullness of a, a world in which we live, in which we probably do as much harm as, and good, except in Jesus' case, he was doing good with the energies of love, as Teilhard would call them. Uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> I think you made... Um an important point in there too, when you mentioned uh, not wanting to be supersessionist, um, because I think sometimes uh, there is a, I don't know if temptation is the right word. Cause I think a lot of the time it's, it's not um, intentional, but 
when um you know we start talking in more like pluralistic with pluralistic language or yep. we talk start talking about like the cosmic christ or yes. the universal christ or something like that um it can kind of be used to strip the jewishness of jesus away well yes um and so like what are what are some of the things like for you that you um like i don't know how do you think about that in such a way where we can speak this way but also still recognize that like jesus was jewish <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like yes. that that's important to the tradition yes and and, <clears throat> and and that's that truly is and perhaps even in the title of the book uh, uh did not say christ uh it was jesus mystic healer and prophet which very much in my own li life uh and in what i believe the biblical tradition says uh, roots him in a history of a people. Uh, you can't separate Gautama Buddha from Hinduism. There would be no Buddha without the Hinduism that he was responding to in his time. There would be no Jesus, no revelation that looked like Jesus without this whole history that that emerged through the patriarchs and Moses and the prophets. And Jesus was very conscious of that. Uh, he is very conscious this again the Luke 4 passage, which I, I perceive, Luke 4, 18, 19, which I perceive as a mission statement. Uh, he's basically adopting uh uh Isaiah's mission statement as his own. He he is claiming that he is fulfilling what Isaiah was talking about, but he couldn't have been couldn't have said that without Isaiah's first comments. Uh, and and I guess part of it is the sense of 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 uh, affirming the Jewishness of Jesus, affirming that his approach to mysticism was profoundly rooted in the Jewish tradition. Uh, uh, his uh, without in any way detracting from Buddha or the Hindu rishis, uh, Jesus mysticism was a very personal mysticism. It wasn't ultimate reality in general. It was ultimate reality as my parent. It was ultimate reality as the one who spoke within me. It was ultimate reality as a historical uh, life. I mean, I think Jesus' healing ministry, which if there's anything that separates Jesus from other religious leaders and sages and, and savior figures, it's the focus on healing. Uh, Jesus was uh, saw the body in, in a very Hebraic manner. Uh, you could not separate uh, the woman, the flow of the flow of blood. You could not separate her body from her faith, from her position in society. They all fit together, and Jesus knew it. Uh, Jesus knew that uh, that there was a power residing in 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 the universe, the power of God that would respond to faith. And Jesus was there in an, an interesting way, was the sort of model of the placebo effect. Uh, which in no way detracts from this. Uh, faith makes a difference. There are all manner of, of, of uh, studies about the the power of of optimism, of hope, and and the and much more more evidence that hopelessness harms us. But this woman comes to him full of possibility, full of faith, and, and she touches him, uh, which people who don't read the story well consider it a faith healing, uh, that it's all about her faith, but she she touches him, and an energy flows from him. Uh, 
that that transforms her cells. She's already on the way to transform her soul by her faith, and the energy transforms her cells. Uh, I think we always have to talk about the Jewishness of Jesus. Uh, I mean, uh, the incarnation is uh, is among the Jewish people. It doesn't. Uh, it's not restricted to that any more than it's restricted to Christianity. The incarnation is global. Christianity just happens to to be one house among many uh, in which it's found, and and to to look to discover and learn from Buddhists and Hindus. Uh, in no or, or our Jewish parents or Muslim followers, people who come later than our tradition is in no way uh, detract from our commitment to Jesus. And let us add to that, of course, uh, the the indigenous peoples who uh, who in many ways Jesus uh, is not uh, a far piece from the indigenous healers, um, and, and because the indigenous healers like Jesus worked with the world and its wonderful, magical, amazing, uh, re-enchanted, to use Dave Griffin's language, re-enchanted or enchanted reality in which he, he lived. So it's very important never to, to uh, think we've gone beyond our Jewish brothers and sisters. The, the salvation is present there. It's present in our tradition. It's present in Jesus. Certainly, you can live quite well with Amos and Isaiah if you want and uh, do quite well. I think, again, Jesus would not have been the healer and prophet he was, or the mystic he was, without this tradition. Mm. And that was God's choice, not just Jesus' choice. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I'm, it, it just, it makes me curious too, Bruce, with your, because I mean, like our, our previous conversation, or sorry, our previous conversation has demonstrated, and also as as you've demonstrated, even in this conversation, um, you have like a really firm grasp and understanding and an appreciation for a wide variety of different um, religious and spiritual traditions. Like, what is it about Jesus that, um, like, I don't know, because you, you consider yourself a Christian, right? Yes. Well, um, yes. So, what is it? What is it about Jesus? Like, it, you know, um, within like with your knowledge and and the wisdom yeah. you glean from all these different places, what is it about Jesus that kind of keeps you like, you know, I don't know, he's your favorite or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's probably again nature and nurture once again. Uh, um, you know, um, you know, this, it could be testimony time, but I'll, I'll probably try to keep my testimony short here. Uh, there is no doubt that the fact that that I always had a Jesus-centered faith, that uh, it was a faith that I grew up with. I'm a, I'm a happy child of the evangelical tradition. Uh, you know, I've been through all the deconstruction, and but I, but I don't have, uh, but my deconstruction led me to believe there was a good deal of, of power in having a, a personal relationship with Jesus and then not leaving it at that point, not have no comment about anything else or anyone else. Uh, you know, that uh, I was raised believing in my own childlike experience that, that you could, you know, as a, in the garden, he walks with me and talks with me. Uh, I still believe that to be the case. I, I walk along with Jesus and uncertain and certainly invoke his, his care. Uh, I had the the great joy of of of, of discovering my de deconstruction took place at the age of ten. So I 
I, I, you know, when my father uh, left the ministry and we moved from the small town America to big city America, and uh, and the, the, I actually had physical symptoms whenever I came into church, and uh, you know, I uh, uh, felt suffocated, and uh, many people feel suffocated when they come into church. I was probably carrying the stress of my family and the trauma of my family. Uh, however, that showed me that this faith was too small, and, and uh, but yet Jesus was still important, and he became somewhat uh, implicit, because as a teen, um, you know, I was a seeker. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, the, my experience with was fairly multitude, uh, with beings, love-ins, and anything else in between, uh, and uh uh, also, at the same time, I was on a search. So I was reading the American Transcendentalist, uh, Thoreau and uh, Emerson, and uh, and had a close relate. I've always liked Taoism. I, that's always felt very comfortable to me. Uh, uh, reading Buddhists, and uh, you know, when I was 18 years old, uh, actually 17, as freshman in college, uh, uh, I I learned transcendental meditation. And, and then two weeks later, started going back to church. Uh, I was a strange, strange Jesus freak because I, instead of going to Calvary Chapel like uh, Lonnie Frisbee and company did, uh, I, I went to a progressive Baptist church. And, uh, and I often wonder, I wrote a little book about that called Process Theology and the, and the Revival We Seek. I asked the question, what would have happened if the Jesus freaks and the Jesus movement, we called them Jesus freaks in those days, had gone, been welcomed in progressive churches. Instead of fundamentalist end times, you know, the, the, the Jesus movement became the fertile ground for, for Nixon. They were trying to get all those, uh, those newly minted Christians into the Nixon movement. And of course, now these people are 70 years old, and they're probably at the heartland of the Trump movement. And, uh, you know, what would have happened if Lonnie Frisbee, who had, was gay, uh, had been welcomed in a church uh, that, that didn't see being a, a gay man as a sin? Uh, I mean, it, it's, I was fortunate to fall into the hands of some progressives, uh, and, and that welcome opened me up to Christian meditation uh, and the mystics in the Christian tradition, which is my, my uh, uh, reference. Uh, later on, I got involved in learning about uh, A Course in Miracles, and I can tell you, talk plenty about that, the New Age movement, where I learned Reiki, Healing Touch, and Reiki, Healing Touch, I became one of the, actually can claim to have written the first book on Reiki and Christianity, uh, Reiki, Healing Touch, and the Way of Jesus. Uh, that introduced me really to the healings of Jesus 35 years ago and taking them seriously. I figured if I could learn Reiki and, and, and put my hand on my, my mother-in-law's uh, chin when she had a toothache and her toothache went away for five days with just putting my hand on her chin for 10 minutes, uh, what did I, why, why would I doubt the healings of Jesus? So I became a student of the healings of Jesus and, and focused my Reiki healing touch, and Reiki is a form of Japanese healing very similar to chi or ki, very similar. It's, it means universal energy. 
I don't know that Jesus was a Reiki master. There's no reason to believe that. Uh, but he channeled the same energy of the universe, what Teilhard would call the energy of love, to transform cells and souls. So I have had the fortune of... Uh, of discovering my Christianity by discovering other people's faiths. And of course, later on, my Judaism uh, comes through um, uh, the work of Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, The Divine Pathos, his, his book on the prophets is in my mind the, the, the best on the prophets there is. And my good friend, the late Harold White, I spent uh, 20 years as his uh, colleague at Georgetown University. He was the Jewish chaplain for the university, and I was a Protestant chaplain for the university. And, and uh, you know, we were great friends. He's passed away a handful of years ago. Uh, and, and we learned from each other uh, a good deal. He went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, so he could sing, he could sing the old Methodist hymns about as well as anyone. And he'd come to Protestant service and uh, and take communion and and he certainly we I couldn't ref I wouldn't refuse communion to anybody who shows up I mean Jesus wouldn't so why should I I mean there was never even question anybody who puts out their hand for the for the body of Christ and the and the and the presence of Christ the the body of Christ and Christ's possibility in our lives they they put out their hand by gum they're going to get it uh, you know don't fence the table. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just to reiterate one more time, I just find it. Um, I don't know for, for me, like I, I have found, you know, deep resonances, um, in a lot of similar places, um, that you were talking about when I, you know, was really first kind of going through some of, you know, what it has been referred to as like dark night of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, during that time, it was the teachings of like uh, Buddhism, uh, specifically yes. like within the Zen tradition, uh, Thich yes. Nhat Hanh, um, oh, yes. that kind of really, that was like a, a very welcomed companion that I walked alongside during, um, you know, those kind of experiences and uh, continue to do so. So like uh, Buddhism and um, and Taoism both um, very much uh, kind of come in and, and influence me. Um, but like you were saying for me, na nature, nurture, I kind of grew up Christian evangelical. Um, you know, I haven't been able to escape this, this Jesus guy. Uh, but also too, I, I really love the story of Christianity. This is something that I've been coming to appreciate more and more is just the, the overall story, um, yes. that it offers. And when I give myself to that story or, you know, faith risk myself in the direction of that story. Yes. Um, it seems it, it works, so to speak. So that's kind and, of in and, my, and, and the story is really not doctrinal or institutional. I mean, Lord knows we had to develop some doctrines and boundaries. Lord knows in the same way that our personality develops from infancy to adulthood, but our personality in adulthood, I mean, here I am 70 years old, uh, should not become fossilized as we get older. Uh, you know, the the doctrines are meant to be, even the doctrines about Christ are meant to be icons. They're not meant to be to be walls and fences. Uh, a lot of the doctrines were initiated sadly, and this has been one of the uh, 
you know, tragedies of Christian history to decide who's in and who's out and, and decide who's faithful and who isn't. You know, it oftentimes su surprises my students, and I teach seminary students and teach lay people. I've taught Bible studies every week for for 10 years at least, uh, uh, you know, to a little Zoom group, you know, from wherever I am. And, and you know, it surprises people to, to hear that the heretics, in quotes, uh, were all devout Christians. The, the, the authors of the uh, Gospel of Thomas, uh, nobody's here trying to undercut Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary Magdala. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of the of of the wisdom and the recovery of the wisdom of Pelagius and of course Pelagius if you want to call your mother a bad name call her a Pelagian uh, you know them as fighting words uh, you know your mother Pelagian <laughs> you know you want to call her that is a bad name to call anybody's mother and uh, but yet if you look at the writings of Pelagius Pelagius comes a lot closer to the Hebraic tradition in the first century than, than Augustine does. And, and Augustine, you know, declared him a heretic in the same way that the Supreme Court declared George Bush president. It was a five to four vote. It was just a, a skin of your teeth vote. And it could have, I mean, the, 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 the Christian tradition would have been much better if, if they'd affirmed both, both Pelagius and Jesus. Uh, and Augustine, I should say, both Pelagius and Augustine, as movements within the faith, it would have been much more holistic. We wouldn't have dwelt so much on original sin, which is something I don't believe Jesus believed in. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, if, if there is any relationship between the Gospels and, and Jesus, uh, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Uh, here, Jesus, uh, John, who, of course, is is a rarefied atmosphere, rarefied Christology in John's gospel, but the 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 word becomes flesh. Uh, the word is not the flesh is not bad. The world when Jesus when John says the word becomes flesh, he's giving us permission to say that bodies are good, that bodies come from God, that the healing of bodies is important to our work, that the affirmation. Of, of diversity. And so I think that we, the, the problem I think of, of being, and this is where Christology can go amiss, uh, and, and, and all of the formulas for healing, and maybe even leftist and rightist notions of social ethics can go amiss when they become abstract. Uh, don't, don't, abstractions never healed anyone. Abstractions never saved anyone. Uh, abstractions never did reconcile anyone. Uh, I, I think Jesus would be quite quite comfortable with a much more fluid, make it up as you go along theology, because that appears to be, I'm a student of Acts of the Apostles. I've done some writing on that too. And, uh, you know, the, the Acts of the Apostles is a wonderful book because they're really making it up as they go along. Uh, they don't have a uh, bishops that are that are have any power yet they don't have a doctrine yet they have Christ to quote Paul they have Christ and him crucified and even that's a little even that's not the whole story there uh and and I think that the 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 you know I love that passage in which Jesus gets in a little bit of a frap with his disciples you know we saw somebody who was practicing exorcism and he wasn't one of us so we we told him to calm down and they're expecting jesus to give him an attaboy 
And, and, and Jesus says, no, no, if he's not against us, he's for us. Uh, you know, so we don't know what the theology of that man was. Uh, he he might have been, uh, you know, more Greek or or a more more pagan, if we only use that 21st century language. He just wasn't one of them. But yet Jesus says, go ahead, let him work, do his job. Yeah, I, the... I like that the the idea of uh, fluidity or, or DIY, DIY make it up as you go, um, because I think like a, a a static faith just becomes a a dead faith and ultimately becomes an idol factory. Yes. Because yeah. then instead of actually um, you know doing the things that Jesus calls us to or worshiping. Um, god or something like that we end up worshiping our ideas our abstractions as you were talking about yeah yeah. um and then utilize those as ways to justify why we shouldn't listen to the things jesus said we should do (laughs) and so yeah that's it's it's interesting and i that's one reason too. uh, another reason i should say um that i find uh both process and also the the mystics um deeply intriguing is because process has room for that kind of uh, continued growth. I mean, it's built into it, right? The yes, continued yes. growth and change. Um, and the mystics were just so open to the experiential reality of the divine yes. and then would act on it. Um, yeah, the yeah, the the mystics, <laughs> as you said, it's hard to be a, a bigot and a mystic. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I think that, uh, again, to to give a, a plaudit uh, to Dan Dabrowski's book, uh, uh, Dan, in a lot of ways, opens a door for the philosophical minded. It's a uh, by saying that process thought is inherently mystical. Uh, that's a little stronger than actually probably he says it. That's me saying it. But but let's look at process thought for a moment. Uh, here we have this image of the the universe in which. Uh, at least uh, my interpretation of process thought, is that God is ever-present, that God is coming to us through every experience we have. Uh, The initial aims or the uh, possibilities are just one small part of the way God comes to people. Uh, Every every encounter is, is, if our eyes are open, every encounter with everyone, God is speaking to us. We're getting the initial aims. If you want to use technical process thought, we're getting the the subjective aims, which is how we we uh, develop them for ourselves. But we're getting some trace of the initial aim in every encounter uh, from everyone we meet. Uh, we're it, it it may be something that that's a ho hum at that moment, but it's it's nevertheless that. And of course, the divine presence is is ubiquitous. So. So there's not a place we're going to go where the holy isn't present. Uh, And that's very reassuring. And of course, the non-human world is a revelatory of God. I'm a a student of a lot of things, and sometimes accidentally. uh, I became an accidental Franciscan scholar uh, at one point in time uh, and written a handful of books in that area. Uh, Yes, there he is. Process thought... uh, would it feels comfortable with with Franciscan's canticle of the sun or canticle of the creatures that praise praise or or where I think uh, Francis may have gotten his initial inspiration 
from Psalm 148, where the this the 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 hail and the sea monsters and uh, the 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 winds blowing uh, all have a, a God element in them, and 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 process theology can be uh, lead us, and, and and the influence of process is obvious in that book. I'm a process theologian, and even though I don't talk about it there. The lens through which I'm looking at is a lens in which the the world in which we live, the nat the natural world, our world, is an avenue or an icon of the holy, and we don't need a supernatural God to come from the outside. People think it's a big deal because God zaps you from the outside. Well, where the heck has God been the rest of the time? Uh, you know, and and uh, there's a sense I find it much more religiously valuable to think that God's always here and already here and and in this call and response sometimes we listen and sometimes we we're totally uh, opaque to it but that there are those moments in which we are listening and we we see uh and experience something that's that changes us and and of course the some mystics uh and Jesus is the paradigm for this uh gain you know, a, a, a power. They gain power in the natural world. They gain power, uh, and and Jesus mysticism, uh, you know, ups the amperage. Uh, it Jesus mysticism raises the energy level, if you might want to use that kind of language, such that his words, his touch, his fellowship, the very his very person changes the cells of people's bodies. Now, this isn't done in some supernatural way because we know it happens outside of the realm of Jesus. Uh, we know that people sometimes have a prayer said for them and things change. We know that uh, sometimes, again, a prayer doesn't necessarily mean, dear God, do this, uh, prayer can be just uh, somebody putting their hand over your shoulder and accepting you, and all of a sudden the the burden of shame goes away because you have been accepted and you become somebody new, and that's a healing. And, and yet again, the, the this leads us obviously to go beyond personal to the planetary and the communal. Uh, would that Jesus again were we the 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 problem of much American Christianity and a and a whole school of American Christianity, at least uh, the the more conservative brand, is that it dwells in the world of abstraction and authoritarianism. So it uh, you know the that Jesus, the healer of of people, and Jesus, the healer of communities. Uh, you know, becomes almost neglected. I mean, if these people believed uh, in the, Jesus as the healer of the earth and communities, they would uh, abandon their incivility. They would abandon their threats of people who disagree with them. They they'd have a live and let let live and let live attitude toward the LGBTQ plus community. It, it'd be you know there that's the 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 all the folly about drag queens and transgendered people is about abstractions. It's about abstractions. If you meet somebody who is transgendered, you'll see a real person. I have a number of friends who are good Christian transgendered people. Praise the Lord, I say. Praise the Lord. And, and you know, they're, they're as good a Christians, if not better than I am. Uh, they're people of great integrity. 
and and you know you can keep those abstract blinders on and and you know that's one of the powerful things of Jesus healing I'm starting to preach here but one of the powerful things of Jesus healing is that he always addressed the concrete person in front of him Jesus never addressed an abstraction uh he was he Nicodemus go down from that tree we know you're a traitor we know you you're hurting your people, but come down for that tree. I must have lunch with you. Uh, you know, a woman caught in adultery. You know, don't know if so throw, don't throw the, you don't throw those stones unless you're sinless yourself. And then you know he he welcomes her and then says, "There's another path for you." Uh, you know, Jesus dealt with concreteness uh, and not abstractions. And sometimes concreteness means you tip over the tables in the temple. But but it also means that you you uh, seek with compassion the rich young ruler who just can't let go of what stands between him and God. Uh, he's just this far from becoming the person he's supposed to be in life and just at that moment couldn't take the step. Who knows? Jesus may have encountered him later uh, and that didn't slip into the Gospels, uh, but you know, they're the, the concreteness of mysticism. Uh, mystics uh, don't start with doctrine. They start with experience. Uh, as a matter of fact, doctrines are grounded on a, the attempt to, to make an experience uh, congruent with a community in many ways. And that's not bad. And of course, mystical experiences need to be uh, examined, and that's important, but not, not examined in a way that... Uh, fossilizes them. And of course, healing is always concrete. There's no formula for it. Certainly, there is a certain, you know, you can go to a healing service with uh, uh, Benny Hinn or someone like that, and you may very well uh, end up falling on the floor, slain in the spirit. Good for you. Uh, you may end up experiencing a physical change. God bless you. You might also get it in that real quiet, low temperature Episcopal service where somebody just gives you communion and you think of Jesus when you're taking the bread and the cup and you go home and something's changed. Uh, you know, there are no techniques for this. It'll come when you least expect it and come when you least hope for it. Yes, I, man, I love it. The And this, the, I don't know. I think that distinction you just made is so important the, about abstraction and and the concrete um, and experience, because even uh, for myself, that has been that has been so true. When you are able to move out of abstraction into concreteness, or like I oftentimes when speaking about this, I talk about relationship, like like you had mentioned, um, like for for example, prior to having any. Um, trans friends my understanding of what it meant to be transgendered person was purely a abstract right it was an idea yeah, yeah. like you're saying but now that i have friends who do identify as trans it's no longer this abstract thing but like you said a real person in front of me and i think a mystic is one who can see uh the divine in and through all things and yes. so when you can when you have that interaction um and can see that then <laughs> the ability to dehumanize uh that person or or whatever just it it vanishes um and i i think that's true for for so much i don't remember exactly where i saw this or read it or maybe it was on like a a reel on instagram or tiktok or something but somebody was basically 
arguing and saying that if you don't have any trans friends, then shut up and stop talking about it because you don't have the experience. And I thought that was really interesting, um, at least in the sense, you know, maybe it's an overstatement, maybe not. I don't know. But it gets to the heart of that ab- abstract, you know, concept in the yes. same way, like, because you know, because we all have like proximity bias. We think um, that how the world is in our little small section of it is how it works everywhere. And yeah, yeah, you have to. The experience is so important. And when I started experiencing people who look differently than I do, who believe differently than me, who, uh, I don't know, like different sports teams, whatever, you know, (laughs) pick your category. That is where that, that intentional relationality is really where transformation happens. Um, and I think if, if more people, like you were saying, stop dealing in abstraction and came down to experience in the concrete, then, uh, maybe the the world would uh, look a little bit more like this thing that Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yes, I think so. I think that, that there is a sense in which the the mystic sees deeper into the this the human story and and and, and, and the cosmic and natural story, uh, and and uh, you know there. There is a sense in which, uh, I mean, use, use Francis as an example. Francis is a mystic, Francis of Assisi, that, that, that he overcomes his own biases through his mystical experiences. He was very much afraid of persons with leprosy. And, and he would be more than willing to give them alms, but he tossed them out of the, off the, off his, uh, while he's riding the horse, he tossed the coins down because he had a, a deathful fear that, and, and not without reason. Uh, and and then he want, he finally encounters a a leper, and he wants to be generous with him. He wants to be generous, but then he realizes that his generosity has to involve him uh, touching the leper and being touched by the leper. And and he he because he he becomes the patron saint. Uh, uh, you know, this may bound on the mythological or the hagiographical, but but Francis, during the uh, time of the Crusades, apparently crosses the border to visit a, a Muslim uh, uh, king or ruler, uh, and uh, and they have uh, conversations. Well, Francis probably at one level would like him to follow Jesus. They have wonderful conversations. Uh, they they end up with a with a stalemate in terms of conversion. Neither one converts, uh, but but that's a symbol of the fact that the other, the religious other, uh, is one of us too. Uh, the religious other, and I, and I I think that you know healing has many forms, and uh, you know the certainly healing involves our attitudes toward others. And, and that's a constantly growing experience. Uh, we're never complete at this. We're never complete. And, and it involves a sense of, of having our loyalties uh, go from our individual or family self-interest to global interest. Um, again, Jesus uh, makes the bold uh, promise, you might say, that his followers will uh, have great power too. We don't know quite what to make of that greater things you will do uh, than I, but but 
we we at the very least says that Jesus was not hoarding hoarding his power. His power was meant to be given away, uh, very much again in the the canonic uh, uh, kenosis of Philippians two. That that the power of God is found not in authoritarianism but in relationship. Uh, I mean, authoritarianism leads to uh, abstraction. It leads to otherness. It leads to the divine right of kings or the divine right of presidents and the and the doctrine of discovery. Those are all it's just the, the path is exactly right through that. We have it. You don't. We're we're the emissaries of the king. Uh, and and if you're other uh, relationship and and Jesus, of course, his followers were very aware aware that there was Caesar and there was Jesus or Christ. Um, that Christ's rulership was a rulership by relationship and love and not power. So when every knee bows, it's not as a result of fear, but of a result of love. Um, yeah, I, absolutely, and I think that um at least for me when i think about um somebody who is you know quote unquote truly powerful so to speak um i often wonder if um if it's true that somebody who can uh coerce and force every knee to bow is truly powerful or if it's the one who every knee bows not in a, not because of coercion but because of uh, divine lure, because of love, because of invitation, because of relationship, um, to me that seems like a more powerful um, yes. deity, or to use Tom's word, uh, omnipotence <laughs> and the yep, power yep. of love. <laughs> yeah, that's a great word. Um, yeah, and so all right, Bruce, we've we've done a lot with mystic and healer, um, which are you know. I, I, well, I don't know. I, all three of these um, lenses you you kind of look through. I don't know if I could pick a favorite, but um, I wanted to touch a little bit on prophet because I think yes. the idea of prophecy often or being a prophet, um, depending on the circle you grow up in, can have this kind of connotation as like, oh, a prophet is just like a fortune teller that looks into yeah, a magic yeah. ball and then tells the future or something. Um, but I think the prophetic tradition is something that's very much alive. At least I see it within like a lot of uh, like black churches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the work that um, uh, liberation theology and people of color are doing. Um, so I, I don't know. I want to highlight this prophet piece. Like when we talk about Jesus as prophetic um, and what that means for you and I today, uh, what kind of comes to mind for you? Okay. There, there, I start with the... The, the the I guess the three pronged I think first Jesus saw himself in the prophetic tradition he uh, again that that was not accidental that he used uh, uh, Luke four the Spirit is Lord is upon me uh, he did drop the the one verse about the vengeance of God that Isaiah includes in his writing but he's claiming that mantle. And everybody is really excited about this. And then he enacts a prophetic act. He, uh, at least his sermon should have ended at that point, you know, at one level. Then he talks about these outsiders whom God has blessed, you know, the 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 non-Jews that God has blessed. And they want to take him out to a mountaintop. His prophetic ministry was a ministry of inclusion. 
Uh, he could very well have given this same sermon uh, oh, at, at Jeffress's church in Dallas, you know, the, the God Bless America church, where the real patriots go to church. And, and he could very well be there. And then he's going to start talking about, and, you know, the skies were the skies where the rain was not coming, and then a gay person came down and talked to Elisha, and the rain started falling. Or he could say, uh, uh, he would say, well, uh, there was a uh, a person that uh, was was uh, a member of the Black Lives Matter movement and trying to teach the the woeful CRT to people and. Uh, and and then God accepted them and claimed them. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the people at Jefferson's church might march Jesus out to the mountaintop to toss him down or stone him. Uh, and he may also go in some of our churches and say that somebody with a red MAGA hat uh, believed in God's grace or stopped and helped me with my tire when I when it, when it was flat on the road, and that one is justified too, because even the progressives have people they love to hate. Uh, you know, uh, even the progressives uh, have abstractions. Uh, now, I have to admit that I have pretty strong political opinions, and 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 I have pretty strong Trump Church. Uh, I consider it like Reich Church as being similar to the Reich Church in the '30s. And the superimposition of Jesus and Trump on one another, uh, I have strong opinions about that. But the people that are sitting at the MAGA rallies, uh, MAGA rallies, they were born and they're going to die just like I am. They're, 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 they might be struggling tomorrow in the emergency room. They, they have kids that uh, are, are maybe not, not the, the, what they expected them to be. Uh, we're still part of that human uh, world. Uh, Jesus, uh, when we think of Jesus as a prophet, we also need to remember without val invalidating the prophetic ministry today, that the reason that Jesus in the early church is sometimes seen to be a little soft on pro prophetic uh, ministry is because they had no political power. Uh, they did not live in a democracy. Uh, they did not live in a democracy. They could not influence what the Roman Empire did. Uh, they, they, and Jesus avoided the zealotry, in part, I think, uh, the, the violent revolutionaries, because I suspect, what is it, the who said, here comes the new boss just like the old boss, uh, that, that, that the violent insurrection would probably end up, as it has in our time, with the same... <laughs> end as the as what happened with somebody authoritarian in power whether they're left or right having said that having said that our challenge is to listen to these words and listen to the style of jesus life and say how can we embody it in our life uh it's not partisan but it's profoundly political and prophetic it's a uh, partisan i think is the sense that again that something has to occur for us to have truly won the day, or maybe even winning the day is a problem. Uh, the, the, the prophetic now is, how do we make the circle of love larger? How do we make the circle of inclusion larger? How do we 
uh, ex, uh, in, in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 12, recognize that there'll be different gifts and different paths, and, and that, that we're looking toward aiming in a similar direction. We're looking toward that. Now, that doesn't in any way blunt uh, our uh, challenge of homophobia. It doesn't blunt our challenge of uh, uh, greed over planet. It doesn't blunt our, our challenge of uh, uh, authoritarian governments and faith news and all that and false elections and, and the like. It doesn't blunt our challenge, but, but that with Jesus, we still have to look with compassion. I know Howard Thurman, one of my teachers, I had the opportunity to study briefly with him twice, and, and uh, always felt that the mystic in his book on mysticism, his, uh, mysticism and social change, uh, is he talks about how the mystic becomes prophetic because they want everyone to have the ability to experience what they do, and that they see their prophetic ministry as necessary for the healing of those who are oppressors. Uh, I coined the word, and I was inspired by, by uh, uh, Thurman, prophetic healing. Uh, uh, too many of the prophets also deal in abstractions. Too many of my the left-leaning prophets, where their pro prophetic ministry also becomes uh, a, a devaluing of their uh, the people who are different than them. Uh, we have to end up in some reconciling space. At the end of the day, we have to aim for that. Now, uh, Thurman was clear. Uh, uh, that this prophetic healing could cause pain. Uh, he was clear that if you were going to have a bus boycott, and Martin Luther King carried his his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, possibly the first Black liberation theology, carried that book with him. Uh, he was clear that the, uh, if you're going to boycott, it's going to hurt someone. It's going to hurt somebody if you're going to, uh, you know, change the way the schools are in the community. Some people are going to experience a lot of discomfort. Uh, that's a necessary. It's what what John Lewis would call good trouble. It's trouble aimed at something good. It's not self-interest because the the uh, the person we perceive as an oppressor is a victim of their oppression too. I mean. Uh, again, I, I, it's easy for me to to see the the people who go to the Trump rallies and some of the other rallies as less than me or less than humans. Sometimes it's easy for me to see that, but these are people who are indeed, in many ways, afraid. I mean, I, I've never done this, but if uh, you know, see somebody with their open carry gun, I'm often tempted to say, "Well, what are you afraid of?" What are you afraid of? I mean, the culture wars are based on fear. And how can we be part of a process in which uh, the rise of people different from us will not hurt us? I've been I've been reading with my rising seventh grade grandchild uh, a version of Howard Zinn's 
People's History of the United States. It's a great text written by the marginalized, but I'm reading a book called The Young People's History of the United States. It's for, for you know, kids 10 to 15, probably. And we're, we're, we're reading together a few pages each day. And, uh, and we're, we're, what we were reading just uh, this morning about how the, the in quotes, uh, the economic elites wanted to keep the blacks, the Indians, and the poor whites, uh, all of them, they wanted to keep the slaves, the Indians, the poor whites angry at one another because the only way they could be secure was that, that none of them came together. The fact of the matter is that the slaves, the indentured servants, the poor whites, and the Indians were all suffering by the same behaviors. They were all suffering by the same behaviors. And, and uh, the, the, person at the person who is uh, worried about um, the other at uh, the red hat at the MAGA crowd needs the healing of, of fear. Uh, the immigrant is not th a threat to you. Uh, the immigrant is not going to take away your job. As a matter of fact, we need more immigration to do the work that right first gen that we 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 don't want to do, and hopefully, then the second generation will become doctors, lawyers, and and tradespeople. But again, we're told that something's wrong. We need healing all the way around. Uh, uh, you know, with uh, the healing of the soul of the nation, as uh, uh, John Meacham and Marianne Williamson say, the healing of the soul of the nation involves all of us and not just some of us. So the prophetic comes out of the mystical because the mystic doesn't have enemies. The mystic is not a relativist. The mystic is pretty clear what helps and what hurts. But the mystic also sees that the institution as well as the person need healing. And what's beautiful about Jesus' work is that there is no separation between spirituality and healing and prophetic ministry. It's all one thing. Uh, you know, if you're close to God, you'll be close to your neighbor, you'll be close to the planet. If you're interested in healing, you also have to be interested in healing the things that uh, economically or or in terms of toxins and environment cause people il illness. You have to be interested in the healing of the healthcare system. You have to be interested in, in equal access because you know, you don't want more people healed at, at, at church services. You want fewer people healed at church services. You want you want the problems that are related to institutions and lifestyle, uh, the the problems of injustice and environmental health issues. Don't, you don't want more sin and more disease to heal or forgive. You want less of that, and that's what the mystic, the prophet, and the healer is about. Man, ab absolutely. I'm. <laughs> I wrote down a few thoughts as as you were talking, kind of to to bring this all in. When you know, you talk about this idea of fear, um, and I think um, <laughs> another thing that that the mystic does is is the mystic sees and knows deeply that perfect love casts out fear. Amen. Amen. And and so I think the. I don't know this this phrase that um I heard Trip use and you alluded to it in um you know when you're talking about Jesus uh you know reading the the scroll and and cutting off the bit about violence and stuff um but <laughs> Trip kind of uses this shorthand of like Jesus cut the violence and expands the borders and Does so like works? that kind of like 
yeah prophetic movement of of cutting the violence and expanding the the borders ties into something that i think the mystics see which is what i've i've been calling the myth of separation yes um, and i think it's this idea that um we are somehow separated from each other that we're separated from god that we're separated from creation and separated from ourselves and yes. when we buy into that which i think is false i think it's an illusion um then i think sin arises out of that i think violence arises out of that fear etc um because if i you know believe i'm separate from you for example i can um dehumanize you i can be racist i can cause you physical harm etc um but once i recognize that you and i are deeply inter interconnected um that um i am because you are right yes uh, in Buddha, yes um that then when you know we hear jesus saying something like what you do to the least of these you do unto me you know he wasn't bullshitting he meant that <laughs> yeah yep. in the same way what i do unto to you bruce is i i do unto myself and um yes. what i do unto myself i do unto you and so I think that's something that the mystics see that Jesus saw and knew. And then, like you said, this idea of mystic healer and prophet all kind of are, are interwoven and can't yes. really be neatly separated. Um, so, yeah, that that's beautiful. Um, I'm I'm absolutely here for it. <laughs> and yeah, it's yet and, again a compelling image of 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 Jesus. And and another way of saying it without uh, uh, necessarily fairly affirming pantheism and uh i guess you could affirm worse things than pantheism uh you could be a pelagian uh but uh uh is that uh the notion that there is no other uh that that we are we are all creating one another that the other doesn't exist the other is part of this grand reality of tragic beauty to quote whitehead of which we are a part and the otherness of god doesn't exist either and that's very much the case if God is imminent and moving through the universe and the moral and spiritual arcs are moving through the universe. Uh, th there is no dividing line. So a, a trip is right on target there to, to uh, get rid of the borders because the borders of self and world are, are virtually non-existent. And that doesn't mean that I don't have a, a self from which I look at things, but myself is also created. I'm sitting here in my little study in my townhouse in Potomac, Maryland. I'm looking out the window and I don't know which is more of me looking at you or looking out and seeing the sun setting in Potomac. There, My experience is 99% of my experience is coming from all these things around me, including my body. And this 1% or less is the sort of the creative mix I put on it. Uh, and I think that's important to remember that that the healing process is is global and not just individual, and and it requires a healed healed people and healed institutions and the and a healed planet. Yes, a amen and amen and amen to all of that. Um, which is better than what my my gut response was, which involves uh. The use of the F word in a positive, affirming way. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, so let's stick with Amen. <laughs> well, you usually without the uh, usually without the the ing part of it. Where I grew up it was I n, uh, F n as it were, and uh, 
uh, with an A to follow it. That was the the language of something good in San Jose, California, and uh, uh, and 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 you know I don't I'm not sure that that's not a healed word too. Ah <laughs> uh, man, well. Bruce, this was, I mean, just like last time, this was so much fun. I really enjoy uh, talking with you and um, just the, I don't know, the the wisdom that um, you are able to bring in just from your own life experience and um, all the cool people that you've spoken to and the study that you've done. Um, I don't know. I'm just grateful that you're willing to share that with the rest of us. <laughs> well, well, and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm a better person for sitting with you today. And uh and and we're all we're all growing, and, and even the mystics would say we're all to quote an old song of those of the Baptists I grew up with. We're all we're all standing in need of prayer, and and uh, I think again the one interesting thing about the mystics is that and then try I have enough of an ego that I need to kind of let go of it at times. Is that you know we're all part of this, and and, and that life shows you you're really not that much better than the person you dislike and 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 that and that's not saying that's not a shameful comment it's just to say we are all in this very moment uh standing up and falling down and standing up and falling down and and we are inspired and we fall away from it god was in this place and i did not know it okay now i do and the mystic wants to keep thinking God is in this place and I now know it, but I'm not going to make a big deal about it. And I'm not going to use it to think I'm better than you. Uh, we are all the children of humus as well as hummus. <laughs> uh, yes. Amen. And amen, man. Well, Bruce, hopefully, I mean, we're, we're so close. Hopefully our, uh, our paths cross in, in person. Yeah, that would um, be a joy. And it would most definitely be fun. You're always welcome back on Rethinking Faith whenever you want to come hang out. So, Well, anytime. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. And uh, listeners, um, you know, I'll be able, I'll link, you know, um, your re- re- resources and such and, and the books you mentioned um, in the show notes and things like that so that people can connect further with your work. Um, but until then, friends, uh, go in peace. Thanks for hanging out today. Thanks.